the reenactment of the water libation in Israel, the discovery of the pilgrimage road, rabbi-approved red heifers, the sharing of the Temple Mount, and all the instruments that will be used in the Third Temple are completed already. The stage is certainly being set for the building of the Third Temple, and I'll show you how on this edition of End of the Age. Many events are setting the stage for the building of the Third Temple. Israel 365, a news source, published an article, The reenactment of the water libation is held to prepare for the Third Temple. On Tuesday, in Jerusalem, the celebration of the water libation ceremony was held, only, and it's only been held a few times since the destruction of the Jewish temple by the Romans in 70 A.D. Now, before we get off into this, I want to make sure you understand that everything I'm going to talk about today is a 2,000-year-old prophecy about the building of the third temple and setting the stage for that. But up until Israel came back together as a nation in 1948, this would have been, these things would have been completely unheard of. Not even possible. Just a distant dream for somebody. 2,000-year-old prophecy, and then just recently, real, on the grand scheme of things, 1948, these things maybe come into view. And then the Temple Mount wasn't even in Israel's hands until, what, uh, 55, 54, 55 years ago in 1967. And so you can see how things are really coming to pass very quickly now. The Temple Institute has recreated all the furniture. I just saw all of it a couple weeks ago when I was in Israel. They have recreated all the furniture in preparation for the building of Israel's third temple. And now the Temple Institute is re-educating the Jewish people in the celebration of the Jewish feast days. Rosh Hashanah was going on when we were in Israel. And the Bible prophesies that Israel's temple will soon be built. And seeing all of the preparations that are being made, the temple itself cannot be far away. Now, let's discuss the ongoing fulfillment of this prophecy on today's program. And if we have time, we'll get into many other prophecies as well. The topic has tremendous significance also to today's Christians, this water libation ceremony. So the Temple Institute is currently re-educating the Jewish people in this celebration of these Jewish feast days in preparation for the prophesied third temple. And, you know, seeing all the preparations that are being made with all of the instruments that are already complete, the temple itself, it's got to be 
in the very near future. The stage is totally being set. And with that said, what is the significance of this water libation ceremony in Jerusalem that took place on Tuesday? Well, the water libation has been done by Jewish people for hundreds of years up until the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. Of course, there has been no Jewish temple since that time, and this ritual was merely a precursor to the real thing that was coming. Now, Jewish people believe that this ceremony should be done on the Temple Mount in the rebuilt temple. So they're educating people, and that's why they're doing this libation ceremony um, in Israel. So this is the Temple Institute's way of getting the people ready in many ways. They're also involved with the red heifers and all kinds of different things, and we'll get into that on today's program. So the ceremony of the water libation is done during the Feast of Tabernacles. And they were to take the water from the waters of the Pool of Siloam, which is down south of the Temple Mount, south of the city of David, on the bottom end of of Mount Moriah. And then they take the water and pour it out, mingling it with the blood of the sacrifice along with wine. So there's water, blood, and wine mixed. And this is very interesting. So in this sacrifice, at the Feast of Tabernacles, you've got blood, wine, and water. The reason that is so interesting is because the Bible talks about those three elements in New Testament salvation. Remember, the Bible says in many places that um, the uh, Old Testament uh, events and different things that happened were types and shadows of things to come in the New Testament. So I want to take you to the Scriptures because Jesus Christ Himself did something very special and it is believed that it was at the time of the water libation at the Feast of Tabernacles. It's found in John 7 verse 2. We're talking about living water here, remember. John 7 2, Bible says, Now the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. That's what they're celebrating with this water libation ceremony in Israel this week. We could, I couldn't teach in the Jerusalem Prophecy College this morning because they're celebrating this feast. Now, Jesus had stayed behind in Galilee, and his disciples had went down to Jerusalem, and they didn't know whether he was going coming or not. Well, suddenly he shows up, and in verse 37 through 39 of chapter 7 of John, it says this, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Now, imagine him doing this during the water libation ceremony Tuesday. You can imagine if somebody stood up and said, Hey, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. You don't need the, in the face of the, um, the observation of the Feast of Tabernacles and the water libation ceremony, he stands up and says, Hey, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. And they're doing, the, the Jews are doing the water libation ceremony and they look at him like, What are you talking about? Now, this is undoubtedly during the time of the celebration of the water libation. And it's a very joyous time. As a matter of fact, some people say that 
you have never known joy like the time of the ceremony of the water libation. So Jesus said, during that ceremony, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall, shall flow rivers of living water. So it's a totally new concept, right? That Jesus is uh, bringing to light. And of course, he, he, his message was the gospel of the kingdom of God, which we will get into in just a little bit on the other side of the break. But I wanted you to understand that what they're doing with the water libation ceremony and many different things are setting the stage for the third temple that is to be built in the very near future, a 2,000-year-old prophecy. Satan and the elites of this world don't want you to understand the timeline leading to the second coming of Jesus. You can pinpoint where we are in the end time, understand how you fit in, and be filled with hope in God's plan by watching the future according to Bible prophecy. Go to intime.com slash future or call 800 intime That's 800-363-8463. Hi, I'm Judy Baxter. When Irvin and I got married, we didn't realize that our calling would be a prophetic ministry. Since we started End Time Ministries, there have been many times we weren't sure how we would pay the bills, but God has always provided. We started with the magazine, then went on radio and TV, and now we have the Jerusalem Prophecy College in Israel and online and End of the Age Plus. The mission has always been to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the End Time message. Through the years, my husband would say, we will see revival like never before in the last days. We are living in the end time now. Thank you for walking this journey with us and continuing in prayer. You are a part of the team. Thank you for your generous support. It is necessary for God's purpose. The most important thing is that you are ready when the Lord comes. Our hope is to help prepare you for that day. God bless you and we love you. What if you could understand Bible prophecy? Dave Robbins, the host of the End of the Age television and radio programs, is holding a free prophecy conference near you. Gain peace and understanding about what the Bible says concerning end-time prophecy. Call 1-800-END-TIME or visit endtime.com slash events for more information. I'm going to be in Bremen, Georgia this weekend. My wife and I will be traveling down there tomorrow, and I'll be there Saturday evening from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. I'll be teaching the Antichrist Socialistic Kingdom, and I'll be there Sunday, October 16th, in the afternoon, 4.15 to 6.15 p.m., doing Breaking Prophetic News. We'll have a time of Q&A. I'll be at Pastor Jonathan Copeland's church. His phone number is 770-362-8254. I'll be at the Sanctuary Pentecostals of West Georgia, 240 Tallapoosa Street, E, Bremen, Georgia. And you can go to endtime.com slash events and then the conferences tab to uh, get all the information on this weekend's conference. Look forward to seeing you in Bremen, Georgia. Now... This concept that Jesus was presenting here, here they are 
pouring out the water that they had gotten from the pool of Siloam, and they brought it up. And we'll be talking how they brought it up in just a moment with that new pilgrimage road. They would go down to the bottom of the, in the pool of Siloam at the bottom of the Mount, uh, Mount Zion, or I'm sorry, uh, the, the, um, Mount, or the, not the Mount of Olives, it would be the, uh, somebody help me out here. <laughs> it would be the Mount Moriah, sorry about that, south on the, of the city of David. And then they, they've, this new tunnel that they found, this street that they found under the streets of the current city of Jerusalem, they would bring up on the pilgrimage road. And so I've, I have had the opportunity to be on that pilgrimage road, and it goes outside the city of David up to the Temple Mount. So this is what they would do. They would go down there and get the water and bring it up. And now Jesus is speaking at this water libation ceremony, and he's speaking of living water. So remember that by now Jesus is famous. He is he has raised from the dead, or I'm sorry, he had raised the dead. He had opened the blinded eyes. He had unstopped deaf ears. He had fed five thousand with five loaves and two fish. So everybody was in great expectation about Jesus being there. That they wondered if he would even be at the feast, and he didn't show up at the first. So Jesus was all the buzz, a famous individual at this point. And that's one of the reasons why the religious sect of the day, they wanted to kill him because he was taking their crowds away from them. So here in the middle of this celebration of the water libation, which is one of the highlights of the Feast of Tabernacles, or in Israel it is Sukkot, all of a sudden Jesus said, Hey, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Well, then in John uh, 7, 39, it says, But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that uh, Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus was prophesying when he said, Let any man come unto me, and, and I will give him water to drink that he will never thirst again. Well, Jesus was prophesying about this living water, this gift that would soon be poured out on mankind that had never been available to mankind up until that time. For 4,000 years of human history, the Holy Ghost was not available. God's Spirit coming to live inside a human being, it was not available. In the Old Testament, the Bible would say God would move on somebody. God would move on Samson and he would tear the gates of the city off and throw them. He would move on them, but he he did not live inside people in the form of the Holy Ghost like he can today. So it was not available. So Jesus was prophesying. And yet here Jesus is, not too long before his departure from the earth, not too long before the crucifixion, and his resurrection is his ascension into the sky, and now he's making the stunning pronouncement. If you believe on me, I'm going to put living water into you. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And thus spake he of the Holy Ghost, which was not yet given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now, Jesus also said in John 
chapter 16, verse 7. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient or necessary for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So I'm here with you now. Uh, He was saying, uh, you know, as long as I stay with you physically, you won't know me like I want you to know me. However, now I am with you, but I shall be in you in the form of the Holy Ghost. So when he's talking about, I will give you living water, he's saying, I'm going to give you the Holy Ghost. He's prophesying about a time when that would be poured out. And, And you know that the initial outpouring is in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. It's the first time the Holy Ghost is poured out where God would come and live inside an individual. Not move on them, but live inside of them. That's Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. So, Jesus was saying, once I leave, I'm going to come back in spirit form and I won't just be with you occasionally like I would physically or when you can get around me or when I'm doing my teaching. He's saying, I, with, as long as I'm with you physically, I can't be inside you like I want to be. So, but I'm going to be with you 24-7 when you receive this gift. I'm going to be in you a well of living water and my spirit within you will lead you and guide you into all truth. Remember, um, Romans 8.14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So that's the Holy Ghost living inside of you, leading and guiding you. So this is really God's masterstroke for the human race. This is the reason Jesus came. And, and the reason He suffered and died is so that you and I can have this wonderful promise, this living water that will spring up and produce everlasting life in our hearts. And he also spoke of it in John chapter 4. Do you remember when Jesus and his disciples were on their way to Samaria? Jesus has sent his disciples to town for something to eat, and he's just resting by a, a well someday. And... In verse 7, the Bible says, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. And the, the woman said of Samaria, she said back to him, Well, how is it that you, being a Jew, asked drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. So she was wondering, Why are you even talking to me? But in verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that was speaking to you and said to you, Give me drink, then thou wouldest have asked of him. because And and he said, And he would have given you living water. It's the same thing that he talked about at the water libation ceremony at the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, the woman said unto him, but it wasn't yet given yet, right, because he had not ascended. He was prophesying about a time when it would be poured out. The the prophet Joel prophesied, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, the Lord said. So this is what Jesus is talking about. 
If you knew who it was that talked to you, Lady of Samaria, you would have asked of me, and I'd, I'd give you living water. And the woman said unto him, Sir, uh, hast thou nothing to draw with? And, but the well's deep. And from whence then hast thou that living water? She had no clue what Jesus was talking about. Well, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water that I'm talking to you about is never going to thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up uh, into everlasting life. So what's Jesus doing here? He is promising this woman eternal life. Now, remember, it is the same thing that he said at the Feast of Tabernacles. If you drink of this water that I shall give you, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. So what is this all about? Why? Why did the Jews celebrate the water libation on Tuesday? And what does it have to do with you and me today? Jesus made these promises. Then a short time later, he rose from the dead. He showed himself alive for 40 days by many infallible proofs. And then he led his disciples out to the edge of Jerusalem to a place called Bethany, just on the other side of the Mount of Olives. He blessed them. He told them not to depart from Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high. And then he, his feet left the ground to their amazement and concern. I mean, it was startling. Imagine. They, they'd never seen anybody's feet leave the ground like that, just get caught up. He was standing there, and then his feet leave the ground, and he just floats up into the air. Before they could react and grab his feet, or they didn't know what was going on, he kept going up until finally a cloud received him, Out of their sight. Now, you can read the account of this in Acts chapter 1. Well, as they're standing there, gazing up into the sky, there appeared behind them two men in white apparel. And they said, and this is the uh, Acts chapter 1, uh, uh, verse 11. You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which you have seen taken up into heaven... He shall come again in like manner as you have seen Him go into heaven. That's a prophecy of the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's coming back, and right where He left from, the Mount of Olives, this is where He's going to come back to. That's Zechariah 14. He'll come back, plant His feet upon the Mount of Olives. So, what did Jesus tell Him to do? Don't go back up from Galilee where where you came from. You go in Jerusalem, which is right across the Kidron Valley. You go in Jerusalem... And you tarry until you be endued with power from on high. Remember, he had already prophesied about a living water that would be poured out. He said, if you'll ask of me, I'll give you living water. He's prophesying about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. He talked about it many times. I'm with you now, disciples, but I shall be in you in the form of the Holy Ghost. So they went. the disciples obeyed. They went back in Jerusalem. And they tarried there. They were in the upper room, remember? Then in Acts 2, it tells what happened. The Bible says, um, and this was on the day of Pentecost, another feast day. Uh, Pentecost means the 50-day from Passover and also the day of the harvest. 
So this is where the living water that Jesus prophesied about was going to be poured out. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, the Bible says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They weren't thinking about um, what I'm going to do next week, about going back fishing, about this, that. No, they were in one accord. They were waiting on this promise. They were in a prayer meeting. They were focused. They were seeking God's face for this living water that would be poured out. They wanted to be endued with this power from on high that Jesus had told them about. Well, in verse 2, the Bible says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. Now, let me interject that the water libation ceremony is accompanied by torches all around the altar. And it's interesting that when it is time to fulfill the promise of the living water, that it's accompanied by tongues of fire. Well, then in verse 4, the Bible says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. This is the living water Jesus was talking about. And he began to speak with other tongues. Or I'm sure, I, I, and the Bible says, And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So here they are, the promised, they're, getting, they're receiving the promise of this living water. Not physical water, like the water libation ceremony, but a spiritual promise. And they now remembered when Jesus promised this weeks before, it wasn't available, but now here they are. The Bible says, Thus spake he of the Spirit that was not yet given, because he was not yet glorified. By now, it's time for the Spirit to be given, though. And this is the promise of the living water. And I will tell you that God wants every single person to enjoy and to experience and to have with you this living water 24-7. When he was here physically, he could be with them, and sometimes he'd send them on missionary trips and Sometimes they, he wasn't with them, and, but yet, when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, Jesus Christ is with you 24-7, 365. And this promise is unto you and to your children and all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. This promise is for everybody under the sound of my voice, everybody today. But you've got to be focused and you've got to trust God and you've got to be in prayer and you've got to be seeking Him. And the Bible says, the day you seek me with your whole heart, I will be found of you. And so this is why it's of utmost importance that we seek God's face for this living water so that we too can experience this spiritual gift. Whether it's a global pandemic, threat of war, or floundering economies, end time events are happening around the world every day. How can you have peace in a world of such great uncertainty? With the End Time Magazine subscription, you can gain a deeper understanding of current events and its prophesied repercussions. End Time Magazine's exclusive content and prophetic insight allows you to understand where we are in the end time. It will give you peace when horrific news and events happen. 
When you subscribe today to End Time Magazine for 12 months for just $19.99, you can have hope for the future because you will understand what the Bible says about the time we are living in. You'll get access to exclusive articles like the prophesied American-Israeli Alliance, End Time Do's and Don'ts, and Could School Choice Save America? Subscribe for you or a friend right now. Go to endtime.com or call 1-800-END-TIME. That's 1-800-END-TIME. The symbols and prophecies within the book of Revelation have perplexed Christians and unbelievers around the world. In his final work, Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ Part 2, the late Irvin Baxter unlocks the mystery of the book of Revelation with in-depth analysis and commentary like you've never heard before. These comprehensive study tools, available for $299, will deepen your biblical understanding. Don't miss this special offer. Call 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com. If your station only carries the first 30 minutes of End of the Age, go to endtime.com and click the watch button to continue today's broadcast. You can also finish up later by clicking the archive button. So we've discussed the initial, the original outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. It's the living water Jesus was talking about. So what about the water libation ceremony? Well, once I saw the articles uh, over the last couple days that said the Jews were keeping this ritual again after 2,000 years... Well, I started to dig a little deeper, right? At the water libation, there were these, uh, the three, the elements. And this, there was a sacrifice on the altar, which meant that there was blood there. Also, during the Second Temple era, they would have two vessels there, one containing wine and one containing water and they would pour it out on the blood sacrifice. So it mingled the blood, the water, and the wine. So why is that so significant? Well, when the day of Pentecost came in Acts 2, they accused the apostles of being drunk on new wine, right? So the Holy Ghost is symbolized by wine in the Bible. In 1 John 5, 8, it puts these three elements together. It says, And there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. So what do these three agree in? These three elements, this blood, water, and Spirit. These three elements agree in the one plan of salvation. And they're always included in the plan. All the way back to the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. You remember they had the blood on the doorpost? The Bible likens in the New Testament to the going through the Red Sea as a baptism. The, 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 so you had blood, water, and then when you went to the uh, out into the wilderness, they had manna, which was a New Testament form of the Holy Ghost, the spiritual element, and they were also led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, or the spiritual experience. So... When we see the water libation ceremonies being held in Jerusalem, we remember that Jesus stated, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. In other words, if you're not thirsty, 
If you're not hungering for something, you're not going to be filled. And you, the Bible says, the day you seek me with your whole heart. Here's the thing. Everybody, everybody under the sound of my vo- voice has a God void in you. It, you're designed that way. But many people will fill that void up with many things. Some people will fill it up with God. And if you do, you want an enriched, happy, fulfilled life. Fill that void up with God. However, some people will fill it up with drugs. Some people will fill it up with alcohol. Some people will fill it up on all kinds of things and not push and push God out of their life. No, I want to do what I want to do. And you will never be fulfilled. Only God can fill that void in your life. And if you try to fill it with anything else, you'll never get enough. I don't care if it's money, whatever. You'll never fill the void. Only God can fill that void. So, Jesus said, if, any, let him, any, if anybody thirsts, if you want to fill that void, if you're hungering for God, come unto me and I will give you living water that you'll never thirst again. You will be fulfilled once you receive this. And he was saying, you are experiencing and a, um, a, a, a type and shadow of the New Testament reality of the born-again experience here. If you do not understand how to be born again, you can contact us here at End Time. And we've got a brochure called, What Do You Mean Born Again? Call us 1-800-363-8463. We'll send you the free brochure. Or visit the website, um, endtime.com, and all the information's right there. What do you mean born again? Just type it in the search bar. And we'll explain to you... Uh, which I got, I want a lot of, I got a lot of other things I want to hit today, so I want to make sure that we, because we're talking about the, the rebuilding of the third temple, right? But this elements of blood, water, and spirit, how does this all tie into the New Testament plan of salvation? What do you mean born again? The born again experience. Uh, 1 800 363 8463, or go to uh, endtime.com and type in what do you mean born again. Now, Building the third temple. The water libation ceremony is just one way they're preparing uh, Israel for, or they're, they're training a lot of people in Israel for the, the third temple when it's built in the very near future. Now, also I wanted to cover the pilgrimage road. On one of our trips to Israel, over this was just prior to covid I was privileged to have a private tour by the lady who was over the uh, city of David to tour the new pilgrimage road that opened up. They found this when uh, Donald Trump was in office, and, but it was, it was completely opened up finally uh, when he was in office. And they, I, I remember uh, David Friedman and many other people going in there and breaking through uh, I think Prime Minister Netanyahu was there, his wife were there, and they had sledgehammers and they were breaking through where they, the, the thing finally crossed over, uh, where they, they, the, the thing met, the pilgrimage road met. They were digging both ways. And it wasn't even open yet when I was allowed to go through there. Our guide, Edo Keenan, set it up. He, he was personal friends with a lady that was over the city of David. And he said, hey, I've got a VIP. Can he come down and go through there? And she said, 
you know what, he's not supposed to, but I'll walk him through personally. So she walked me. We walked the whole thing. We went from the Pool of Siloam all the way up to the, to, uh, we walked from as far as I could, and then we got out and walked to the top all the way to the Temple Mount. The, pool, the pilgrimage road goes outside the city of David. It's a 2,000-year-old thoroughfare which goes from the Pool of Siloam up to the Temple Mount, and it emerges near the Robinson's Arch. If, you, if you've ever seen a, a uh, picture like the, the Western Wall, the, just to the right of that is Robinson's Arch. That's where this comes up to. And archaeologists are convinced that this is the path that millions of Jews took three times a year when they were performing the commandment of Aliyah Ligriel, which is they go up to the holy city of Jerusalem to bring sacrifices to God during Jerusalem's three holidays, Passover, Shabbat, and Sukkot, which is what we're talking about right now. This Feast of Tabernacles, where they do, they're doing the water libation ceremony. It's no, I want you to know, though, that I didn't say that they went into the city of David. Um, and I know, I walked the road personally. It bypasses the city of David and goes straight to the current Temple Mount, which is where both of the temples stood. Now, I, I, I know that people say, and I want to interject this here because I know a lot of people are teaching, you can see YouTube videos and a lot of different stuff, that the temples were built in the city of David. But that simply is not true. And this pilgrimage road is one of the, it's one of the best proofs I've ever seen besides Scripture. Scripture tells us, and I'll tell you in a moment, but this pilgrimage road where these people would go from the Pool of Siloam up to the Temple Mount it doesn't even go into the city of David. It completely bypasses that. It's on the outside of that. It goes right up straight to the temple of um, to the Temple Mount, and it's a big, huge main thoroughfare. Now, I can provide extensive archaeological proof of the Jewish temples up on the Temple Mount. I, we could analyze the the Temple Mount sifting project, where the Muslims went in and dug out a huge uh, mosque. Under the uh, uh, inside the Temple Mount Plaza, but underneath the platform that's there, there's the sifting project. And what that is is they dug all this dirt out and they just dumped it outside the Temple Mount. Well, the Jews went and sifted through that and found all kinds of artifacts and things from the Second Temple era. Or we could look at the Southern Steps. I mean, it was not Antonio's fortress. Why would you put a 200-foot-long a set of steps into a fortress, or the ritual baths, or the uh, where people would bathe before going into the trumpeting stone at the base of the Temple Mount, the warning stones, the large stones which had been knocked from the western wall, uh, the retaining wall, off the Temple Mount, which destroyed the streets below when the Romans toppled the second temple in 70 AD, or the gigantic foundation stones of Herod's platform, I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. The temples, in fact, did stand up on the Temple Mount. And so when you look at all of this, the stage is being set here, folks, for the building of the Third Temple. You've got this water libation ceremony going on by the Temple Institute. And um, many people participate in that. They're training people to observe the feast. They're getting ready for the building of the Third Temple the, you have this pilgrimage road that's been discovered. 
which helps to prove the temples and, uh, and the, all of the rituals and different things that happened in the temple. You have this, the, um, back in when, uh, in 2017, the Sanhedrin actually asked President Trump and Vladimir Putin to build the third temple. In late January of 2017, the reestablished Sanhedrin, which was reborn in 2005, sent a letter to U.S. President Donald Trump blessing him and challenging him to take the lead in restoring America and the world. The Sanhedrin urged President Trump to bring back family values to lead the war against radical Islamic terror, and it also sent letters in, man, it would have been mid-November of 2016, to both Vladimir Putin and uh, of Russia, and then-president-elect Donald Trump, asking them to take up their Cyrus-like roles to help build the third temple. And you remember that Cyrus, King Cyrus, was the king of Persia. King Darius was the king of uh, Media. And the Medes and the Persians, which conquered uh, Nebuchadnezzar's Babylonian empire. Well, Cyrus was the great king of Persia in the 6th century B.C. And he announced in the first year of his reign that he was prompted by God to make a decree that the temple in Jerusalem should be built. That's uh, Ezra 1, verse 2. Cyrus sent the Jews under his rule back to Israel with a considerable amount of money to uh, rebuild the temple. Now, the reestablished Sanhedrin has charged the... They charged at that time these two non-Jewish world leaders, Putin and President Trump, to take up this ancient biblical decree to fulfill their Cyrus-like roles, recognize the importance of Israel, and support the Jewish people in rebuilding the Jewish temple. Now, I'm going to go over many things like this because I want you to understand that there's not just one little group of 20 people that are pushing for this. There are many people through the years that are pushing, pushing, pushing the building of the third temple, and the stage is certainly being set for the fulfillment of that prophecy in the very near future. And back in 2013, the Jerusalem Post reported that uh, a report came that states fun, state funds uh, groups that advocate building the third temple. They were getting the government involved. And the article said that the state had been subsidizing nonprofit organizations that advocate the building of the third temple and atop of Jerusalem's holiest site, and that was from an army radio expose. So there are many people that are pushing, pushing, pushing for the building of this third temple. Again, before 1948, nobody would have even dreamed it was possible. But now, 1948, God drew Israel back together as a nation, and these prophecies are clicking off one right after another, and now there are people all the time pushing, pushing for the building of this third temple. I've been part of the End Time family from the beginning over 30 years ago when my parents, Irvin and Judy Baxter, began ministry from the recliner in our living room. My name is Jana Robbins. I have the pleasure of connecting with our incredible partners every day. End Time is a small nonprofit that runs a high-traffic website, a daily TV and radio show, the Prophecy College in Jerusalem, and more. Although we have less than 30 team members, we are able to serve tens of millions of people each month. We survive on the goodness of God and donations averaging about $50. If everyone hearing this message gave $22, our financial needs would be met for the year. 
If you only give to one cause per month, please consider partnering with End Time to help get the message of our soon coming King out to the world. Call us at 1-800-END-TIME to give today or go to endtime.com to become a monthly or one-time partner. Now, at the time that this Jerusalem Post article came out about the state was funding these nonprofit organizations that were pushing for the building of the Third Temple, they, the article stated that at that time, the education ministry and the culture and sports ministry had transferred between 300,000 and 700,000 shekels to a non-governmental, these non-governmental organizations known as the Temple Institute, the same ones that are doing this water libation ceremony. They're involved with the red heifer. They are, they're the ones that have all of the instruments that will be used in the third temple. And they said that also the group received 282,000 shekels from the education ministry and another 134,000 from the cultural ministry over time. So they're getting funds from the state and because they're doing things to advocate for and keep the building of the third temple in the eye of the world. Now, you also understand that another effort to push for the building of the third temple is the red heifer and the third temple. Israel has searched for decades unsuccessfully for a red heifer. However, you understand that uh, the new endeavor between the Jews and and Texas ranchers, that could very well produce a valid candidate. Uh, and the importance of the red heifer in the words of the Temple Institute. I took this right off of their website. According to the Temple Institute website, this was um, probably a couple few years ago, they said, in our times, the commandment of the red heifer takes on more and more significance. For without it, the divine service of the Holy Temple cannot be resumed. There is a spiritual renaissance today in Israel. After almost 2,000 years, Israel is clearly moving towards the time when the Holy Temple on Mount Moriah, the prophesied third temple, will be rebuilt. What about a red heifer? What's that have to do with any of this? Perhaps it would be difficult for some to believe that a cow could be so important. But in truth, the Temple Institute says the fate of the entire world depends on the red heifer. Because God has ordained that its ashes alone are the single missing ingredient for the reinstatement of the biblical purity and thereafter the rebuilding of the holy temple. Well, of course, we know that the Bible prophesies the building of the temple in the very near future. In Revelation 11, 1 and 2, John was told to measure the Jewish temple and those that worship therein. And a person obviously cannot measure a temple if there's no temple to be measured, right? He was prophesying about the third temple, the time giving in the prophecy, and when this event will take place is the 42 months just prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ in the battle of Armageddon. He was not referring to the temple, the second temple that was here during the era of Jesus. It's not what he was talking about. He's talking about a third temple that would be built. And therefore, this prophecy indicates the Jewish temple will be standing 42 months before the second coming of Jesus Christ. In 
2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. It foretells that the man of sin, the Antichrist, will sit in that rebuilt Jewish temple, the temple of God, claiming to be God Himself. And that incident is called the abomination of desolation, which Jesus said would occur 42 months before the second coming. So we have two prophecies stating that the Jewish temple will be rebuilt. And both of them prophesy the temple will be standing at the time, uh, the same time, the 42 months prior to the Battle of Armageddon. Now, the scriptures also indicate that there will be a peace agreement between the Israelis and the Palestinians. That the prophecies foretell clearly that the Jewish temple will be completed during the first three and one half years of the following the signing of the peace agreement. The peace agreement starts the final seven years. So during that first three and one half years, the temple is going to be built. And of course, pressure from the international community for Israel to reach a two-state solution to the Palestinian problem, that's never been greater than it is right now. They are trying to cram that down Israel's throat. Well, when Yair Lapid was just um, talking, at, he gave his speech at the General Assembly last month, he actually said, he's the acting Prime Minister of Israel, he actually said, I'm pro two-state solution. So you think this stuff's not going to happen? I promise you it is, because it's prophesied in the Bible. He's saying, when he says I'm pro two-state solution, he's saying, I'm willing to trade land for peace. He's willing to trade part of the promised land for peace. Now, we know the Temple Mount, or I'm sorry, the Temple cannot be built until Israel has a qualified red heifer for the purification of the Israeli people. Many efforts are going on uh, by the Temple Institute and others to produce that red heifer. And that, that's indicating that we are nearing the time for the building of the third temple. Will Israel get its red heifer? Well, remember the two different prophecies that foretell a temple will stand on the Temple Mount during the end time. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3-4 prophesies the Antichrist will sit in the temple claiming to be God. You can't sit in a temple if there is no temple. Revelation 11, 1 and 2, the Apostle John said to measure the temple and those that worship therein, you can't measure a temple unless there is no temple. Well, it's obvious from these two prophecies Israel will get a red heifer since the temple cannot be constructed without one. Now, you and I, you, if you've been listening for a while, I've reported on this. But most of you know that Israel has five rabbi-approved red heifers as we speak. They were just delivered in just a few weeks ago. The day I left for Israel, they were delivered to Israel. Byron Stinson, a friend of mine, was there. I talked to him. He was texting me and saying, Dave, they're going to be delivered tonight. And, you know, where are you at? And where, you know, I mean, I, 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 I was like, uh, I'm going to be in Israel. And, I mean, we're just talking back and forth. And he was kind of wanting to know where I was going to be. And, you know, what, what we could do about this. And I said, well, man, I, you know, can my tour group come see it? No, they're going into quarantine. Nobody's going to see them. And, I mean, uh, hopefully... Uh, they're, they're out of quarantine now. They're at undisclosed locations, and hopefully we'll get to see them on our May trip. I can't promise that, but it sure would be nice if we could. All Israel News published an article. The red heifer sacrifice could take place in one year in Jerusalem. The article says that they must stay unblemished and red in order to be sacrificed 
when they are older than two years. They've got to be in the third year. And currently the calves, according to the article, are just under one year old. You realize, since Israel came back together as a nation, they've never been able to produce one red heifer up to two years old. They now have five. They're all red. They're all in great health. And if they can get one up over two years, then that would be qualified for the sacrifice. So everybody, I mean, I, I talked to Yehuda Glick uh, while we were in Israel this last time, and he said, I said, you're aware of the red heifers? And he was like, oh yeah, I'm aware of the red heifers. Of course, he's one of the main people that's pushing for the building of the third temple. He's a very radical individual. He was a member of the Knesset. And everybody has their eyes on this now. Many of the major news sources are picking up on it. So sacrifices will resume in the end time. The prophesied Israeli-Palestinian peace agreement mentions in Daniel 9.27 that will place the Temple Mount under a sharing arrangement between Muslims and Jews. And according to that's according to Revelation 11.1 and 2. Israel will be allowed to build her third temple without disturbing the Muslim holy places, the um, Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And on one of our recent trips to Israel, I had a, um, I, like I said, I talked to a, member, a former member of the Israeli Knesset, Rabbi Yehuda Glick. And he told me, in, or I asked him, uh, this was not this last trip, but one of the previous ones, I asked him, if, is, if the Temple Mount was ever placed under a sharing arrangement under a uh, future peace agreement, would you be willing to leave the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque up on the Temple Mount and build the temple in the courtyard north of there where the Dome of the Spirits is that aligns up with the Eastern Gate? And he said, well, we believe that when it comes time to build the third temple, God will make a way to remove the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. However, he said, if, the, if that doesn't happen, he said, for Jews to build their third synagogue on the Temple Mount, he said, we would be willing to build up there without disturbing the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Man, when he said that, our tour group was looking at each other like, you've got to be kidding me. This guy who was a radical Jewish um, individual and just for the building of the third temple and living as a Jewish person and under the law and everything. And he says, you know what? We would be willing to share the Temple Mount. The Bible says that's exactly what's going to happen, folks. Revelation 11, 1 and 2. When the temple is completed, animal sacrifices will be offered just like they were in the Old Testament. And these are the sacrifices that the Antichrist will stop. You can't stop non-existent sacrifices, right? Now, when we're talking about the stages being set for the building of the third temple, the Temple Mount is going to be placed under a sharing arrangement. Many people would say, oh no, that's completely unheard of. That's never going to happen. Folks, there are many people that would agree that, this, that it is viable for them to um, share the Temple Mount. Most Middle East experts agree there is only one possible solution to the Temple Mount dispute. President Clinton proposed the sharing of the Temple Mount between Muslims and Jews back at Camp David in year 2000. An international authority would supervise that sharing arrangement. And according to reports, Netanyahu, when he was in office, he was willing to accept a sharing arrangement. On August 8th, back in 2012, there was a bill introduced in the Israeli Knesset 
by member of Knesset, Aryeh Eldad. And that was to place the Temple Mount under a sharing arrangement. And if that bill were to pass, Jews would be allowed to worship on the Temple Mount certain hours during the day. Muslims will be allowed to worship on the Temple Mount certain hours during the day. And the bill, the bill um, obviously it hasn't been passed. However, Israel's Speaker of the Knesset, Edelstein, on May 10, 2013, he expressed hope that within one year from then, which would have been 2014, that the Temple Mount would have been under a sharing arrangement. You say, why are you bringing that up now? Because I'm telling you, there are people in very high places in, in, the, um, in Israel that would be willing to share the Temple Mount. Back in, uh, there was a New York Times article back in uh, like the year 2000. Now think about this. And the title of the article in this New York Times article was 101 Rabbis Call for Sharing the Temple Mount. That was December 7th, 2000. It said more than 100 American rabbis have issued a statement saying that there is no religious reason that require exclusive Jewish sovereignty over the Temple Mount. The massive stone plateau in Jerusalem, considered by, uh, holy by both the Jews and the Muslims, that have been at the center of the recent violence in the Middle East. Control of the Temple Mount has been proved as a major stumbling block in p- peace negotiations between Israel and the Palestinian officials, which are now stalled. And they were saying that, hey, let's just share it. So there are many people over time that have pushed for a sharing arrangement and Revelation 11, 1 and 2 says that is exactly what's going to happen in the near future. So folks, I'm telling you, when the, when the Bible prophesies there's going to be a third temple in the very near future, that absolutely is going to happen. And, you know, if they were to, in a year or so, be able to sacrifice one of these red heifers, purification of Israel, can you imagine the pressure that would be put on the Israeli government to capitulate, sign an agreement, and get a peace uh, deal done so they can share the Temple Mount. We'll have to wait and see what happens, but the prophecy is going to happen. This has been End of the Age, brought to you by the faithful partners of End Time Ministries. If you're not currently a partner with End Time Ministries, or if you would like more information, we invite you to call us at 1-800-END-TIME. That's 1-800-363-8463 or visit us online at endtime.com.